Hi there and welcome back to Amplify, the personal brand entrepreneur podcast. I'm Bob Gentle and every Monday I'm joined by amazing people who share what makes their business work. If you're new, then take a second to subscribe through your player app. And while you're listening, join our Facebook community. Just visit amplifyme.fm forward slash insiders and you'll be taken right there. How do you talk about what you do in such a way that it captures the imagination? It lights people up emotionally and communicates the really deep reasons you add value in ways no one else can. It's a huge challenge. Most people just make noise when they really need strong signals. This week, my guest is Tamsin Webster, author of Find Your Red Thread. And we're talking about how to find the through line from your big idea directly into your audience's hearts. So this week, I am really excited to welcome Tamsin Webster to the show. Probably more excited to speak to Tamsin than I have been to speak to a lot of guests for a long time because we're speaking about something that for me is a big question. So Tamsin, welcome to the show. Why don't you start just by telling us a little bit about who you are, where you are and what you do. Excellent. Well, hello. I'm delighted to be here. I, I'm Tamsin Webster. I, I'm an English to English translator. I'll explain more about that. And I, I am coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts, which is in the northeastern part of the United States, often referred to as New England. So that's where I'm coming from. And what I mean by English to English translator is that I work with experts uh, to make their ideas irresistible. And uh, I've developed a, a method, a process that helps them essentially articulate and build the case for their ideas that turn into the stories that people will tell themselves about their ideas. It turns out to be the most irresistible form of stories of all. So we'll start there. I think one of the reasons I'm really excited to speak to you and we had a brief conversation, I think it was a few months ago. Yeah. And just that short conversation was awesome. But one of the problems I think lots of people have, I certainly have, is that you know there's magic in people. Mm -hmm. You just know it's there. Mm -hmm. But the line that connects that magic to the people who need it so often isn't obvious. And a lot of that comes through the stories we tell. But it's essentially ideas. Ideas need a vector. Yes. They need... They need some furniture, some embellishment, some method of delivery. And that's what I love about what you do is it helps people identify and distill down. What is it that really is going to get your idea into the head of the person that needs it? But how the hell do you do that? <laughs> well, a lot of it understands uh, starts with understanding how any information gets into people's heads. And, and that really... Uh, the answer to that turned out to be the key to unlocking th this whole question for me, um, because I was very curious about that. Um, it, it it started with kind of where I started with with business and marketing. That's always been what I studied and what what my role was in organizations. Uh, for 13 years of the years that I was doing that, like brand and marketing, you know, message strategy full time, I I moonlighted as a Weight Watchers leader which is a, a weight loss program. And I was essentially a coach that helped people uh, you know, find ways to really change long-term behaviors. Uh, and then also for the last eight years, I've been involved with one of the largest uh, and the oldest uh, locally organized TED Talk events in the world. And so I was really interested in this question of like, how do people, how do people make the decision to do something different than they're doing now? And 
my research revealed uh, over time, I mean, lots of things about motivation and what are the, you know, what are our biases and all of that. But I, I particularly in the last five to eight years, I got really interested in like, yes, but okay, I understand all that, but all of that requires the information getting into someone's head in the first place. How does that happen? Um, and I, I had the great fortune that someone recommended, a good friend recommended a book called um, Story Proof, I believe is the version. Yeah, Kendall Haven is the author. And it was this compendium of like science, which is, I, is like catnip for me, like actual science, like all the studies, all the different things about how we process information. And as you can guess from the title, that we process information as story and not yet yeah, so a lot of times when people hear that they're like oh yeah i've heard that like it, stories are a really effective way to like get information across and, and and that is true but the reason why it's true is because when someone tells you a story your brain is recognizing a code that it is already using to make sense of the information it's taking in so one of the best ways I love to illustrate this for people that your brain is always trying to do this, whether you know it or not, um, is actually to use a very short story from the author E.M. Forster. And th the story is eight words and it goes like this. The king died and then the queen died. And mm. most people are like, wait, I have some questions. And I'm like, yeah, you do. Because <laughs> your brain is like, wait, 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 that's not... It's not enough. Like, I don't, I don't know what happened. Like, where did this happen? When did it happen? What was the space between the deaths? Like, did one cause the other? Like, what, what, like, what did they die of? And that need is your brain trying to fill in the blanks of a story that it is, that it is always trying to fill. And that happens pre-consciously. So what I, what I discovered was that since we, you know, it's well, quite simply, we take in new information and what our brains are trying to do is slot it into this story structure that's already there. So we're looking for the pieces of this story um, to make things make sense. We're saying, okay, if this happens, if, if I saw cause A and effect B happened, our brain is trying to create an explanation constantly of why those two things are connected. Um, and so I deconstructed that. I reverse engineered it uh, to say, okay, well, if A, what are the, what are the pieces of that story that the, our brains are trying to build? And said to myself, well, if we can find those pieces in an idea, well, then looky there, what we can do is essentially make an idea and the expl explanation of idea feel and have the power of a story and the understandability of a story, even if it's not told as a once upon a time story. Um, and that's really kind of the, the arc of where kind of the idea for my approach came from. And uh, I've just been adding experimentation and, and, and additional science to it ever since just to say, okay, this seems to work, but why does it work? And now you know, I'm, I'm, I have an ever increasing understanding of why it works. So immediately when we started talking, I know why your idea mm. matters to me because I, I had lots of information before we started speaking. But for the person who doesn't know what I know, why does your work matter and who does it matter to? Well, the, my work, I'm going to start, I'm going to answer the second question first uh, because you know, I'm very clear on who I am for as I like to, as, as I like to frame it or technically, of course, it's whom I am for. 
And that is for people who serve ideas that are bigger than they are. I, I love that. I have been a fan of that since I could identify it back even in high school, uh, where just I had a deep passion for the arts uh, and you know, both practicing artists, but, but historical arts uh, and, and culture. And you know, that, that evolved into working with uh, performing artists of all kinds. Uh, so not just visual artists, but, but musicians and actors. Uh, some work with through some work I did when I was a, a head of marketing at a performing arts college here in Boston. I, I, I've worked for a number of years now with scientists. So I worked at Harvard Medical School for a number of years. And just over and over again, I'm drawn to people who are who have big ideas or who serve big ideas because they believe fundamentally that there is that there is power and possibility that there is that there's a better way to do things, that there's a, there's a better way to you know, help people, there's a better way to do whatever it might be. So that I, that's who I'm for. <laughs> and that leads directly to the next question and your, second, your first question. Um, and that is so often people who have spent so much time dedicating their lives to an idea or a concept or a, a field or a practice uh, lose the ability to speak to other people about that. They, they, they start to speak the language of an expert and they lose their first native language of human. Um, and so this, <laughs> this is what I mean when I, my work is I'm an English to English translator. So generally people come to me because they know they have a big idea. They know it's powerful. And for whatever reason, other people don't don't see it as powerful as they do. They don't see the same power in it as the, the person with the idea does. And so that can show up in all sorts of ways. It's a founder that, that isn't getting the investment that they really feel like they deserve. Or it's, I mean, generally it's something like that. Like we don't have the audience that we're looking for. We're not seeing the growth that we're looking for. Or for all the academic and research experts, they're just not seeing enough people talking about this, doing this thing. Uh, or taking this, or they're seeing too many people, you know, in in pain or struggling, or you know, just one step away from being able to unlock whatever's getting in their way, and they're like, "But I have the answer! Like, here's my answer!" And then people are like, "Don't don't understand it or don't respond to it." That's what I solve for people uh, because it, and I'm serious about this. Like, it pains me physically that mere words are the block between a big idea and the power that it can have. Um, and so when I started to kind of decode this, this story structure, this thing that I now call the red thread um, method that I have, uh, I just, I got, that's why I was so excited about it. I'm like, this is, this is it. This is a way to help people articulate their ideas back in their native human language. <laughs> um, and allow them to serve, you know, it really serves, you know, while story structure in general serves as essentially the Rosetta Stone uh, to translate expert language into everyday language. This, you know, what I found was that this approach that I, that I developed was just an easier way to do that. Because a lot of people know they need to do it, but they don't know how. And, and I'm a big fan yeah. of operationalizing things. I, I love it. Like someone gives me an idea and they put a great idea in the world. I'm like, awesome. How do you do that? Um, and that's really what I wanted to, to unlock and decode. So I want to speak in a minute about how you did that. Talk about your framework 
as such. There's a danger when somebody is listening to the show thinking, big idea, my idea is not so big. Maybe this isn't for me. I think what it's really important to remember is that your small idea, you, you think it's small, it might be huge for someone else. So big ideas yes. come in all shapes and sizes. It's the impact that it can have on somebody else that really dictates whether it's big or not. And something that I'm constantly surprised by is if if I'm speaking or if I'm in a workshop or even on a, in a clubhouse thing, people will ask questions, I'll give an answer, I'll think that's, that's sort of, that's my low rent answer, that's the best I could come up with. I get a message a day later saying mm. that answer changed my life. So you can never predict how your content is going to land, but obviously what I like about your framework is you can give it the best possible chance of landing. So I guess let's jump into it. Tell me about the thin red. How do you describe it? The red thread. Yeah, the red thread method, because I love love acids. Red thread. Red, the red, red thread method, yes. Thank you. Um, well, first, to your point about big ideas, absolutely. Uh, and that, that made me realize that I do have a definition of big ideas, and it's encompassing e- even of what people, I think, would, might consider to be a small idea. But to me, a big idea is any idea that provides an answer to a question that someone hasn't answered for themselves yet. <laughs> See, now that's awesome. Thanks. Here's the thing. And I, I get this when I'm working with my clients here because that's actually the first piece of, of this red thread. So I know, I know we're going there. So it's a beautiful segue. The very first piece of the red thread is to identify that question that someone has that, that they haven't answered for themselves yet. Because that flip of understanding the bigness of your idea, that what matters is how big it's perceived by the person you're talking to. Like, that's the big flip that we have to say. Like you may know it's big, but until you get the person you're talking to to understand how big or what it means for them, then then it doesn't matter. Like because an idea exists in the in between of what you think it is and how they can use it, and so that's what we're trying to do is build build that bridge. And to me, that's exactly what the red thread is. It's that connection, that story our brains build between. A question that someone asks and hasn't answered yet and your idea is the answer and so the red thread method is really an, a, a way to identify and establish for yourself and for your audience those connection points between that question and answer and yeah they happen to follow the the structure of story but that's really where that's really where it starts is with that question that someone hasn't been able to answer for themselves yet i think what I'm assuming is that a lot of the time, the people with the big ideas, a lot of the time they might not even realize they're big Correct. ideas because they're that so obvious the to them. Yes. Yeah. And that's one of the most fun things that happens sometimes when I work with someone uh, and they'll come in knowing that they have an idea <laughs> and sometimes they even think it's a big idea. But I really can't think of a time when someone didn't leave the process understand realizing that their idea was actually even bigger than they thought because in that connection between question and answer is in my belief is the is in fact the power of the idea is the is the in between because the in between is where you're revealing the the distinctive and i would say even unique way that you view the world and it's that it's that 
point of view that you have that is why you know and feel that the answer that you've come up with is the right answer. But in the work of finding these those particular pieces of the red thread, um, which I promise I will talk about, uh, those two those inter, those two steps in between the question and the answer um, are the hardest for people for exactly the reason you just said that that uh, because it's just it feels so obvious to the person it never occurs to them that other people don't see the world that way. I mean that's that's a well established cognitive bias that we believe that everybody believes the same things we do. <laughs> um, but they don't. And so that's often the role that I'm playing with my clients is as a, as a proxy of, of their audience uh, to be able to say, yeah, you know, that's different, right? Like not, every, not everybody looks at the world that way. Um, but that's, that's where power lies. And that's, that's, that truly is one of the most joyful parts of working with people on these ideas, whether they think they're big or not. So there will be people listening thinking, you know what, I have big ideas or I have yes. garbage ideas, but maybe they're great. Obviously, you've written a book about the red thread method. The red thread, red, red, yes. the red thread method is, is your whole sort of consulting business. I'm going to ask you to do the impossible, which is just very briefly, if people want to sort of take the sure. baby steps, what does it look like? What, how, do they, uh, how, how would you summarize it? I feel, I feel, I feel terrible. <laughs> no, I think the easiest it. place to summarize it is to actually start with a story structure that it, that it, that it is based on. Um, and there's lots of different kinds of stories. We've probably, you've probably heard of things like the hero myth or even love stories or revenge stories or rags to riches. There's lots of different kinds of stories, quest stories, which is another word for the hero myth. And I wanted to go one level deeper because from the research that I did, uh, and still do, what was clear was that you know, the hero myth isn't the only kind of story. And so that can't be the only way that the brain processes information. So I wanted to say, well, what elements are in every story? What are the elements that have to be there? You know, what elements are in common between once upon a time stories and these brain stories that happen pre-consciously? And what I discovered was that there really are five. There are five elements that are in every story, no matter what kind of story it is, no matter whether it's a pre-conscious brain story or once upon a time story. So let's start there because they map directly to the pieces and therefore the steps of articulating your idea. So I've, I mentioned the first one already, and that is the first step in a story, the first piece of a story, this first element of a story that's always there is establishing a goal. Now, in a story that is establishing the goal of the main character, that there is, you know, the really the action of the story. So there may be context, there may be other stuff happening before you get to this, but there's a there's a moment where we, the reader or the viewer or the listener, recognizes that the main character wants something and they don't have it yet. So, you know, quick, easy answer. You know, it's pretty yeah. clear early on in Harry Potter, right, uh, that he wants a family that isn't the one he's got. <laughs> um, there's a lot that sets that up, but it's kind of like you, you get, even though it's never articulated out loud, that he does not want what he has right now. He wants a family that's not that. Um, he wants a true family. Um, yeah. So that's just a quick example. And when we're talking about an idea, this goes back to what you and I were just talking about. That goal is 
the main character in, and you know, when you're tra- talking about your idea, isn't you, <laughs> it's your audience. And so the, the goal that we have to establish for their brain to recognize it as a story that is relevant to them is that question that they're asking that they haven't found an answer to yet. It's that thing that they want and don't yet have. So that's step one is the goal. Step two in a story is introducing a problem that someone didn't know they had prior to that goal. So that goal oftentimes represents a problem, like with Harry Potter, like I don't have the family that I want and I want one. So that's a problem, but there's, there's always a point in a story where there is a, arguably a bigger problem that comes, gets introduced that they, that the main character didn't know about before the story started. And so for instance, if we're still using Harry Potter, an example, like the introduction of you know, he who must not be named, you know, of this evil wizard, like, and the fact that he himself, like Harry is himself a wizard. Um, and there's this interplay is a problem that gets introduced that before he can solve his problem of a family, he has to solve the problem of Voldemort, right? <laughs> he has to solve that problem. He actually has to solve that one first. Yeah. So in a message, the same thing. So that's a second piece. And we can talk more about that, but that's the second piece of this story structure is a problem that someone doesn't know they had. I, I, it always has in messaging, it always has two parts, can come back to that, but we've got goal, piece one, problem, piece two. The next piece, the next thing that drives the action of a story that's always there, again, brain stories, once upon a time stories, no matter the kind of story, horror, love story, whatever, is, you know, I call it a moment of truth. There's a lot of different words for it. There's a, it's a, it's a climax. It's a, it's a midpoint. Sometimes it's a point of no return. I think my very favorite word for it, but it doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. So it's not the official name for it in my method, um, is the Greek word, the anagnorisis. I love that word. I know it's good. Um, but wow. the, but no matter what you call it, it's the moment in a story where the main character recognizes the true nature of their circumstances. So that means they either recognize the true nature of the environment that they're in or something about themselves or something about somebody who's with them. But there's this moment where it's this kind of flash of this moment of truth, where as soon as they have that realization of of that moment, it demands a choice. They have to choose something now because that moment of truth always means that something just got put into major jeopardy. And that is probably the thing that they want and or that real problem they have to solve. That if whatever they've realized is true, then those other two things are on the line. And so that's why they have to choose something differently. That same thing happens in messaging. So again, we can come back to that. But the the fourth of the five pieces. So now that we've demanded a choice with that moment of truth, the next step is a change. So there is a decision to do something different than they were doing before, or to think something different when it comes oftentimes to messaging. So we have a goal, we have a problem, you know, we have a goal that intro- you know, establishes what something wants, somebody wants a problem that gets in their way, like that has to be solved before they can get the goal, a truth that demands a choice, And so this fourth piece is defining this change in thinking or behavior. And then the fifth piece, which is admittedly kind of a a lesser piece, but is still important, is the action. So once they take, once they make that choice, there is an action or a set of actions that is what they do uh, to, to make that change actually real. 
depending, you know, in a once upon a time story, depending on that choice and depending on those actions, those two together determine whether or not it's a happy ending, right? Or a sad one, you know, whether it's a, it's an, it's a, an ending that drives the, the, where they get the thing that they want or they don't, you know, or that, you know, if they don't get what they want, that they get what they need instead. Um, and so those are the five pieces. And, and it turns out that you can find those five pieces in story in any idea and that's because your brain already found them <laughs> to some extent like your brain your every idea has a story like that because every idea is the product of a story like that and so really what we're doing and what I tried to do with the red thread is that we are just reconstructing that story that's already there we are uncovering it we're discovering it we are we are we are surfacing it um, so that we can look at it articulate it tighten it and then adapt it for all the different uses that we're going to need it for as you might know this show is supported by our sponsor agora pulse now you know how hard it is to juggle all the things in your business the accounts the meetings the never-ending inbox and that's why i teamed up with agora pulse to give you more than five hours back a week when it comes to managing your social media marketing no complicated Excel docs, long emails, or millions of open tabs. Simply manage all your social media channels in one place. Go to amplifyme.agency forward slash Agora Pulse to score two months for free on me. Now, all you have to do is figure out how you want to spend those spare five hours. The uses is where I would like to go next. Everything you've described there makes perfect sense. And I think that's really powerful. But stories hidden in a box serve nobody. And sort of looking at this from a branding perspective, whether it's corporate or personal, there's this whole cliche of, and it's a cliche because it's true, Mm -hmm. you are what people say about you when you're not in the room. But how do you trigger those conversations? A lot of the times it's the stories people tell about you. And that's something that we as business owners or whoever you are, you're going to have to cultivate that. So whether it's, you know where I'm going with this. How do you use these stories? How, how are they deployed? What are your sort of tips around how to actually leverage your stories once you've gone through this process of yeah, so um, I, identifying? I, the, the very first thing is to understand what that core story is. I, I believe that every idea has a red thread. I also believe that every person has a red thread. And that is oftentimes the, the, the discovery that people have after they... Uh, go through this process. I mean, a lot of times people will walk in and say, well, I'm trying to, you know, we're, we just need to figure out our go-to-market messaging. And since I love working so much directly with founders, a lot of times they're like, actually, this describes my entire worldview. And I'm like, yeah, I know, it, it happens. So the, the real key is to understand that core, <laughs> uh, that core message and that core, that core red thread. And, you know, there's very tactical ways that, the, that it shows up. It, it, you know, once you found that red thread, you found those pieces, um, and then there's there's more philosophical ways. So let me talk about the tactical ways first. So I think of those five pieces of the red thread: the goal, the problem, the truth, the change, and the action as ingredients. You know, as you would ingredients. And the work that I'm that I do one on one with clients, and really what the book is designed to help people do for themselves, is to make sure that they have the highest quality ingredients on the table. So you know, every chapter in the book talks about like what the criteria is for you know your ideal goal statement you know the same thing for the problem for the truth the change in the action and i list like how to find those things it's the same approach that i use with my clients 
once you have the ingredients on the table, then you start to put things, you put them together in certain ways. So two of the things that are the most important, you know, combinations of those ingredients, you can think of them like if you were making a layer cake, you know, one is the, the sponge and the other is the frosting. From those same ingredients, you can make these other things. And the cake piece is what I like to call the storyline, which is the summary version of the red thread. So, you know, so for instance, I can, I can summarize the, the, what the whole book is about by saying, hey, if you're, you know, we, if you're trying to figure out for yourself, you know, I, when I'm talking with people with big ideas, they're often trying to know, they often want to know how to turn their ideas into action and maybe even change the world with them. Uh, when looking for that answer, there's often a tension between what people want to say about their idea and what other people need to hear. In other words, people need to understand and agree with your idea before they'll act on it. Yet we can, you know, and I've discovered uh, that the human brain has a specific structure for how it processes, accepts, and acts on ideas, and that's story. Ideas are built on stories. So if you want your idea to truly drive action and lasting change, you need to build a story that people will tell themselves about your idea. And how do you do that? You find the story that your brain built in the first place. That story is your red thread. So that's like a 60 second summary of the idea, frankly, yeah. of the book. So there you go. Um, but I work with, you know, the book talks about how to turn those ingredients into that summary piece. So that's a very tactical piece because, you know, again, tactically, where can you use that? You know, where you're going to adjust the language, but you can use it as your, as boilerplate for your idea. You could use it as a uh, you know, pieces and parts of what you put on your homepage or your about us page. Uh, I recommend when I'm working with founders that it's, that it's actually an introductory, that's part of their introduction as they're introducing who they are and what they do before they go in the details of their business model and their Tam Sam Som and, you know, who their team is and what funding they have so far uh, and their exit strategy, you know, because people just need to understand like, what is the idea? I just need to understand like the whole map of it first before I'm going to go forward. So that's what the storyline is. So that's the sponge. And then there's one other thing yeah. that you can combine the ingredients. And actually, in, a, in, a, is, in many ways, it's almost a distillation of the storyline. And it's something I call the through line, which is a one-sentence summary that uses the same ingredients, but now in one sentence. So I can say, the best way to turn your idea into action is to build the story that your audience will tell themselves about it. How do you do that? The red thread. Why does it work? Give them the storyline. So these are the elements that, that the book talks about, but to me are kind of tactically, once you understand the red thread, like those are some of those elements that get used all the time because the through line turns into kind of your quick answer when someone says, who are you and what do you do? Just like you did with me. Um, when someone says, well, tell me about your idea. Right. And if you currently have like a 20 minute explanation and you'd prefer to have a 20 second one, that's where the through line can come in. It's also a great source of taglines, uh, headlines. I've seen, you know, these are all different ways that my, my, my clients have used those elements. And then once you have those elements, you can start to mix and match them to apply them to all sorts of different pieces of, con you know, to content, spoken, written, long form, short form, um, because, you know, the book in, is in itself an example of a long form piece of content built on a red thread. 
because it would be kind of hard to write a book about this without actually putting my practice, my, my method into practice. So I outline, you know, the, the, I outline what the red thread is of the book. And then every chapter I show what the red thread is of that chapter. And you can see how it sparks off of and how it ties back to the original red thread of the book. Um, but they, they just interplay like that in all sorts of different ways. Does that answer your question? It absolutely does. And while, while you were speaking, there was a few things sort of resonating with me. It reminded me very much of what Neen James, who introduced us yes. bizarrely, talked about with her attention matrix. That when you have to introduce yourself, her attention matrix is quite a structured way of sort of introducing who you are and what you do. Yes. What you have is similarly very powerful but actually what i realized as you were speaking i was thinking about things like dance and ballet and martial mm. arts that many people might be listening to this thinking that sounds awful complicated but if you use it if you practice with it if you spend time with it it becomes a repertoire that allows you to communicate much much more clearly yes it reduces complexity and wasted effort in communication it com becomes a very graceful way to transmit ideas which is something that i get very excited yes about. oh i love it you um, just made my day yeah i designed it to be a framework i mean i designed it to be a framework and and whether you know it or not like you 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 um have surfaced what was i think one of my very deep personal motivations for coming up with this method which i was not i didn't realize i was consciously doing it uh, but I am someone who hates a blank page, hates it. Mm. And I hate when someone asks me a question, not having a, a ready, solid answer. And, and this is something that's plagued me for years. Again, I can remember, you know, painful incidences all the way, going all the way back to high school. And certainly in my early days in my career where I would have this, like, I knew the right answer to something. We were struggling with something and I knew the right answer. And then I would try to get it across and I just would fail. And then people would be like, oh, you're, you know, you're too young. You're too inexperienced. Like, what do you know? Like, what do you actually know about this? And, and, and I just got super super frustrated about that. Um, and so the, 100%, this is absolutely how I use this, that when someone asks me a question out of the blue that I haven't thought about before, it provides me something to immediately put on that blank page in my mind. I'm okay, okay, well, they just gave me the question. All right, next, next thing. All right, what's the problem? What's the problem of perspective here? What's this two-part problem? Okay, what do I believe? Why, why do I believe that second perspective is so important? Okay, so what is my answer here? Okay, this is, all right, this is what I think we should do differently. And then, you know, if necessary, okay, let me, let me kind of, okay, I need to think about, like, how do we do that? All right, here's the specific step. And so, selfishly, it solves, it solves a very big problem what had always been a very big problem for me, which was just those moments where I just felt so inarticulate about something, and especially about something that I really felt very strongly or very passionately about. And I think those are the worst moments when you feel strongly or passionately about something and words just fail you. And this for me is a way to make sure that the, that it's not that you won't still occasionally struggle with the words, but because you're giving your brain a direction, to look for them, they come a lot quicker um, yeah. because it isn't just how do I explain myself like open, you know, wide open field. You're like, nope, 
All right, they just gave me the question. Next, all right, now I need to do, like, what's the two-part problem here? How are, like, what is that, what lens does that question reflect? What's my lens? Why is that my lens? What does that mean I think about this? Okay, how does that actually get applied? And I just use that over and over again. I think what I really love about it is a lot of people think about sort of online business or being an entrepreneur. It's all about the product. As long as you can deliver a great product, you'll do well. The truth is there are lots of people doing what you do and probably doing it for the same people. The truth is the best communicator wins every time. There's a reason Tony Robbins is at the top of the tree. Correct. And anybody that wants to level up, it's going to be by showing up in other people's audiences and showing up in other people's lives. And your ability to communicate your idea, which essentially is your value, is going to be the thing that decides whether they engage you or somebody else or just give up and go home. So practicing communicating your ideas, becoming, accepting the fact that you're going to suck today, that's the price. But for me, having something to practice gives me the confidence that I know if I keep practicing, I'm going to get good. And that's why people like martial arts rather mm. than just practice street fighting because it gives you some success leaves clues. Yes. So I will be buying your book when it comes out later today. Yes. Yay. But yeah, I'm really excited. So beyond the book, how do people actually engage with you? How do you transact? transact. I guess is the, is so the like, word. How does, it, how does this actually turn into money? Um, yeah. so, <laughs> uh, pri- two primary ways. Uh, I, I, most of my revenue, most of my revenue comes from consulting. Uh, so working with uh, individual experts or teams of experts or the translators who are responsible for translating others' expertise uh, so think sales teams, product marketing teams, oftentimes nonprofit uh, gift officers, things like that. Work with them on uh, almost always first coming up with this red thread so that they can experience it themselves. Uh, oftentimes I'm working with them through a process of adapting that core message to additional audiences or applications. And then depending on the client, a lot of times that gets then turned into like, training other people. Uh, and as of later this year, that will become official in the fact that I'm, I'm rolling out an accreditation process with the Red Thread so that people can kind of be an, a, an accredited Red Thread practitioner um, for either so they can use it on their own clients or use it internally with their teams more effectively. And then the other, other piece of revenue is speaking. So I, I speak to organizations and companies about this um, a lot, about different aspects of it. Obviously, it's the specifics of the red thread, but also more broadly about the different concepts and ideas that it represents. So I'm just fascinated by, fascinated by change communications. And so speak to folks about that. And in, and in my favorite kinds of engagements, I work with a company to come up with their red thread I work that into a talk that is delivered to their to their organization, let's say in a you know an annual sales meeting or kind of that kind of thing. And then from there, we then work with individual teams to adapt it for their own purposes and roll it out through a series of, of workshops and other programs. So yeah, I'm all about just you know, this is this is definitely a method that is designed to teach people to fish. It's designed to teach people that skill, just like you were talking about with martial arts, that they can practice and learn and get better at. And that's that's what I'm here to do. So it, it really starts with with helping people find their specific red thread and then we roll out from there. 
Well, I can't wait to read my copy of your book. Anybody listening, I guarantee it's going to be a good one. Your ability to communicate is probably the more important than any of the tech skills you could possibly learn. That's so true. I mean, I think we actually think about what communication actually is. It requires that it's actually heard and not just heard like went into somebody's ear holes. Like in order for an idea to be truly communicated, it needs to be heard and understood. And those two things have to happen before someone could act on it. And I think a lot of times we just stop at the, let me get it out there in the world. Let me just speak it. But if you really want to communicate your idea, if you really want to drive the action, you have to put equal, if not more emphasis on what can I do with this idea to make sure that it gets heard. And that fundamentally is what I'm here to help people do and hopefully what the book will help them do as well. And anybody listening, don't let your awesome idea be trumped by somebody else's garbage idea that just gets across more clearly. Do yourself justice and work on your ideas and articulate them because they are almost guaranteed to be awesome for the people who need them. Tamsin, you have been an awesome guest. I've really, really enjoyed myself. You didn't disappoint. If people want to connect with you, how can they do that? Uh, best place is TamsinWebster.com. I am literally the only Tamsin Webster in the universe, so I'm not that hard to find. And I guess my final question, what's one thing you do now that you wish had started five years ago? This is going to be totally unrelated to anything that we talked about, but it is very much related to my business. And that is that I, uh, within the last two years, instituted uh, an approach to managing my business finances (laughs) called Profit First from a great book by Mike Michalowicz of the same name. Um, And it is the absolute reason why I, my business was able to survive the pandemic. It is the absolute reason why I was able to invest in getting this book published exactly the way that I wanted to be published. Um, and it is the absolute reason why I uh, am able to sleep at night and not be terrified about the financial health of my business because I care too much about these ideas to let my poor financial management be the reason they don't get out there. So it's a very unsexy answer, but a very very practical one and a very true one you know what spooky is that would also be my answer profit first has completely changed my business and changed my life i I would love to have mike on the show i think he would be an outstanding guest but yeah anybody listening if you're up at night wondering how are you going to be paying your tax bills you really need to read profit first i read profit first first i think around the time it came out and i got so angry i Stop reading the book and fired everyone in the company. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. And now it's great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. It really has made, I mean, it is such, such a difference. I mean, I just, I, I you know, I'm not going to attribute the ability to, 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 to weather, you know, I, I took, I think if I did, when I did the math, I took a, a I think a 40% cut like in revenue last year, thanks to the pandemic. But thanks to Profit First, and it really is thanks to Profit First. Uh, I never never had to lessen how much I paid myself. Um, I was still able to extract profit from the business. I was still able to pay all my taxes. Uh, and I accrued, and, I, and by the way, I have no debt with the business and accrued no debt mm. for the business last year. And that is, that is all from Profit First. And it seems strange sometimes to remember that we have to you know, that there, that there are these super practical parts of our ideas, um, 
and our bit you know that because our business is an idea it's a physical manifestation of the idea and just as you it's so important to do the work of making sure that you build the skills to allow you to communicate the idea i think it's equally important to do the work to build the skills to make sure that the business that the that is the engine of your getting your idea out there is just as healthy yeah uh, because that would be a very sad reason for the idea not to get out there too yeah absolutely and i think i was in business 15 years before I accepted the fact my accountant wasn't really on my side. He didn't care. Mm. The accountants are great at looking backwards. They're terrible at looking forwards. So if, if you're at the, in the situation where you're thinking, I really wish my accountant would get on board, they won't. You need to take control of it. And Profit First will give you a roadmap for that. So it's totally, totally right there with you. Tamsin, thank you so much for your time. I wish you the best of luck with the book it's coming out on the day that this episode comes out on may 17th have i got that right yes 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 and they can they can find all things red thread book at redthreadbook.com is it even easier than remembering my name thank you very much for your time i can't wait to meet you in person sometime soon but for now have a great day thank you so much bob Zig Ziglar said that you can have anything in life you want if you just help enough other people get what they want. It's simple and it's true, but your business is only as good as your ability to communicate the value you offer to the people who need it the most. If you get it right, then you can have anything you want. Before I go, just a quick reminder to subscribe and join our Facebook group. You'll find a link in the show notes or visit amplifyme.fm forward slash insiders. Also connect with me wherever you hang out. You'll find me on all the social platforms at Bob Gentle. If you enjoyed the show, then I would love a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It would make my day. And if you shared the show with a friend, you would literally make my golden list. My name's Bob Gentle. Thanks to you for listening, and I'll see you next week. Thank you.